This year, we are seeing a lot of new energy around the idea that Christians and church-curious people, who are not always Christians, need new fantastical stories that are not infected by false religion. Meanwhile, Christian-made fantasy fans, including Lorehaven, are finding new growth of interest in these kinds of stories. Could this lead to a golden age of Christian-made fantastical fiction? How would we even recognize such a golden age? In this episode, Zach and I will explore these speculations, probably with some different perspectives. Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com, where we explore fantastical stories for God's glory and apply their meanings to the real world Jesus calls us to serve. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, the publisher of lorehaven.com and also the co-author of a nonfiction book about fiction called The Pop Culture Parent. And I'm Zachary Russell, and this is episode 110, Could We Enter a Golden Age of Christian-Made Fantastical Fiction? And previously, we've talked about this, like you mentioned, Stephen, and we've We've talked about a Bronze Age and a Silver Age, so I like that we're skipping ahead to the Golden Age and imagining, you know, the utopian version of what a fictional universe could look like. No Diamond Age, no Plutonium <laughs> Age, no cryptocurrency age going on here. <laughs> and I don't even know exactly how the eras would line up. If you're talking about, you know, human pre-industrial civilization, you could talk about the Bronze Age or the Post-Industrial Age or the Information Age. But if you're talking about comic books, then you're talking about the golden age when they invented Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, or the silver age where they invented Spider-Man or any of the other ages that I don't want to mess up because I wasn't there for this development of the uh, the comics uh, ages. Yeah, and that, that's what, you know, I don't know the comic world as much. And so that, to me, that seems backwards that it started with gold and then it went to silver. I would I would assume the other way around, but what do I know? Well, you think the giant multi-million dollar movies would be the golden age. And, and yes. some people would say that, I suppose. But if you're speaking specifically about the comics uh, and the development of these iconic characters, then I, then I suppose I understand. I think what we're talking about today is what would an awesome, like beyond our expectations, beyond our wildest dreams era of fiction look like for the Christian fantasy fan, uh, imagining that our best days are ahead of us and not behind us. Zach and I talk a lot about Twitter and speaking of golden age, some people are acting as if the golden age of Twitter is now (laughs) upon us. uh, Now that the real universe's version of Iron Man has decided to buy the thing. Yes, I'm looking forward to how the public discourse uh, hopefully goes in a little bit healthier direction. And that may open up a lot of space for Christian fans to meet other people that they can build alliances with to bring about this golden age. And we'll talk about that space in just a little bit and any potential that uh, Christian fantasy fans have for finding like-minded folks over social media. In the real world, however, uh, Zach, I have to say that I'm actually slated to join the Realm Makers bookstore again for the Teach Them Diligently conference. The next one, uh, we just had one uh, about a month or so ago uh, in uh, Round Rock, Texas. The next one is actually in Pigeon Forge, uh, Tennessee, near the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Teach Them Diligently holds that from May 5th to the 7th, and I'll be there with uh, James Hannibal again, uh, Scott Miner of the Realm Makers Bookstore, and a lot of other great creators of these Christian fantastical stories. I'll represent Lorehaven, sell my own book, The Pop Culture Parent, and, uh, and mostly I'll just promote lots of these stories uh, by authors. Uh, what we do at these events is we just talk to homeschool families, uh, sign autographs, that sort of thing, and everybody just helps everybody find the best book that they've made uh, for the homeschool family or student in front of them. Oh, which, by the way, leads me to sponsor one once again for this episode, the Realm Makers Conference. We're speaking a lot about fans at Lorehaven, but a lot of fans of Christian-made fantastical stories also want to create these kinds of stories. And if that's you, you want to know about this event, which is being hosted in Atlantic City, New Jersey. That's the live version. 
but there's also a live online version of the Realm Makers Conference this July from the 21st through 23rd. Here's the event description. Are you excited to take the next step in your speculative fiction journey? No, not an actual trip to space time travel or forging your own sword. Joining us for Realm Makers 2022. This year's annual writers conference will again offer the event in person in Atlantic City and live online. So even if you're not ready to travel in July, you can still see the teaching in real time. Every class will be live streamed for our virtual attendees. Whether attending in Atlantic City or online, all attendees will have the chance to connect on the Realm Sphere in a dedicated conference space in our online community. Realm Makers 2022 is an amazing value because this year, every attendee gets access to replays of every class available through the Realm Sphere. No matter how you attend, if you have a manuscript you want to pitch to our participating agents and editors, you will be able to do so. You can get the registration link and learn more at our podcast sponsors page, lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors, or check the top of the show notes for this episode 110. From there, let's go to the first of our three chapters in this discussion, why we might have cause to be optimistic. Could a Christian fantasy golden age draw nigh? And this is where, as with the last topic, I rely on Zach uh, to share some of the speculations that he's had uh, coming in from uh, being less familiar uh, in the past with other Christian attempts at starting uh, a lot of uh, fiction going on. I can see why you'd have uh, some cause for optimism, but I'm, I'm curious, Zach, what led to uh, some of the phrasing that you've had in previous episodes, uh, thinking that we may <laughs> be headed for a, a golden age and what, what that means to you, what you see, how you, how you would define yeah. it. Well, so just personally for a minute, uh, even though I have, I definitely have like a melancholy side, I am an ENFP in the Myers-Briggs. So the, uh, the little acronym that helps that is everyday new fantastic possibilities. So I am an optimist at heart. I think what really got me optimistic about this was actually my first time to attend Realm Makers in 2018. And it was there that I was just blown away that there were hundreds of Christian authors writing fantasy and science fiction. I had read a few titles in this genre before that, I guess starting back in um, 2008 with Ted Decker's Circle Trilogy. And then, you know, I, I'd read Left Behind and the Christ Clone Trilogy before that. But, you know, these more fantasy sci-fi books that I hadn't really known very much about in that kind of 10-year period. Now, all of a sudden, I'm finding there's hundreds of authors that are there in person, and there's hundreds more that have previously come to Realm Makers that were part of the online community. So I was just totally blown away by this. Now, I, I'm recognizing in that that maybe the supply is a little bit greater than the demand, because I hadn't really seen the demand for these books, like among friends I talked to that are readers at even Christian bookstores, much less you know big box bookstores. Then again, a lot of sales are happening online, so it's a little hard to gauge the demand. The one thing we can't deny is that there is a huge supply of these books. However that compares to demand, I think that tells us something, that there is a you know, spirit of renewal happening in the fiction world among people that want these kinds of stories to exist. And yes, the most diehard fans of this genre are themselves creators. But again, that tells us something. I think the Holy Spirit is moving in a big way in the, the Christian writer world right now. So you'd attribute this then to uh, Holy Spirit action. And, and by the way, quick, quick grab from the concession stand. Uh, as with the previous episode, I'm going to come across as a little more adversarial in this one. I want to be <laughs> optimistic, but I have been uh, doing Lorehaven type stuff uh, for now going on 15, 17 years, something like that, going back to the mid-2000s. So uh, I've seen some hoopla before, some enthusiasm, some, yay, we're going to get noticed. Uh, and then it always ends up kind of flatlining. And so although I'm not 
saying that it's the same now, uh, I, I do think there is some cause for caution as well. But anyway, you said you might see some Holy Spirit action going on here. I, I think so. I mean, far be it for me to, to assume too much, but you never know. He might be, especially if it's leading people to holiness and discipleship of their imaginations as well as their heads. So here's kind of what I stake that claim on. We've seen a lot of Christian bookstores shut down. Okay. We've seen a lot of Christian authors kind of get pushed out of the mainstream in secular bookstores, secular publishers. And we've seen a lot of Christian publishers kind of dial back a little bit on how they are investing in Christian fantasy. And yet the supply of authors never goes down. And and part of that is because of the self-publishing revolution. And so a lot of them are just selling their own books their own way. And, you know, like at the uh, Teach Them Diligently conference in Round Rock, we just went to and did our live podcast from, we met so many authors there that are doing this directly to the homeschool community, like selling directly to the homeschool community, getting feedback from them. And man, you never would have known that unless you went to that conference or listened to that episode. And so because of all of these obstacles that are getting thrown in the way, and yet we see the supply ever increasing, there's got to be something behind that because it doesn't make logical sense in some ways. So I, I got to think that God is, is kind of blowing a fresh wind a little bit in there. Okay. I, I, am, I do share your optimism when it comes to uh, the homeschoolers because uh, unlike uh, this imaginary version of a general evangelical audience or even a general audience of people who for some reason would just love Christian fiction, even if they're not themselves Christian, uh, homeschoolers are interested in these books. Homeschoolers are absolutely desirous of many, many novels, especially for their kids. Uh, and they're not uh, closed off uh, to novels with fantastical imagination, whether it's fantasy or science fiction. Now, you paranormal fans out there, uh, you horror guys, uh, I'm afraid you still have a, a bit of an uphill climb there, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, every journey begins with a single step and all of that. Uh, you got to work your way up to the hero's journey and, uh, not uh, not try to sell horror to somebody uh, just because you feel like it's some kind of a hardcore answer to the clean stuff. Homeschoolers still want some wholesome stuff. I prefer the word wholesome over clean. And so long as authors are trying to reach them uh, who are connecting directly uh, with this very important demographic that's interested in Christian-made fantasy, then I think we do have cause for optimism. As we'll get to in my next chapter, though, uh, I see a lot of authors mainly trying to sell their books to other authors or, and I'm going to step on some toes here, uh, some author consultant uh, indie publisher types are trying to sell an aspiring author's dream back to her or to him. Uh, and that's something we talk about, at least behind the scenes at Lorehaven. Uh, when the curtains are rippling, we're back there saying, you know, we don't want to sell people the dream of being an author. We want to actually raise a more cultivated readership that'll be interested in these stories. And as you get more readers, the stories are going to get better. There won't just be more of them in terms of quantity. There will be more of them in terms of quality. Yeah. Now, there there are two things specific to the homeschool market that I think I've put my finger on. And one was actually uh, one of the authors that we interviewed, and his big thing was chivalry. This was at the Teach Them Diligently conference. And, um, you know, I think that value of chivalry and really appeals to homeschool families. I, I think that especially ones that are going through classical education you know, wanting to recapture more of a traditional mindset that we've had in this country and in Western civilization. I, I think it's a little bit bigger of a jump sometimes, but I think the sci-fi genre also appeals because so much of sci-fi is about, well, as Ray Bradbury says, I, I write science fiction not to predict the future, but to prevent it. And I think 
homeschoolers have definitely, they're definitely hitting the brakes a lot on, you know, how fast culture is changing and, and how it's going over a cliff in a lot of ways. And I think science fiction definitely captures a lot of that. But also, you know, there's a lot of science fiction about exploring new planets or um, there's this Christian uh, sci-fi movie that I keep getting ads for. Uh, it's called like the Mayflower 2 about these Christians that go on a Noah's Ark kind of spaceship colony ship to another planet. And uh, I don't know what else happens, but it kind of follows the same story beats as the original Mayflower. These sort of mindsets resonate a lot with homeschoolers, and we are seeing a huge surge in homeschoolers right now. The latest statistics I saw were that 5 million uh, kids are being homeschooled in this past year. Now, of course, a lot of that is from COVID, but I think also a lot of parents tried out the homeschool thing. They're like, actually, we prefer this, so we're going to keep doing this. And then that's, you know, starting a trend. So. I would agree with you that if you focus on the homeschoolers uh, as a potential market for Christian-made fantasy, uh, we have cause for optimism. Uh, Zach, is there uh, any particular trend that you see when you look out at, uh, you know, even some of the limited circles we get in as being part of Lorehaven? Is there anything that gives you cause for more caution or even some pessimism? You know, not, I don't, not asking you to step on any toes there, but you were mentioning the enthusiasm of going to the Teach Them Diligently conference or even going to Realm Makers. And I would just note that still in either of our cases, we have to go out and find these circles of Christian-made fantasy fans or Christian-made fantasy creators. I would think, and I'll mention this a little bit later too, that in a golden age, it would just be part of Christian culture generally. It would just be suffusing everything uh, the way that until recently, uh, some of the uh, the young, restless, reformed stuff uh, used to kind of suffuse everything. Whether or not you were uh, professing reformed Calvinist or something, you probably heard about these debates going on. And there was maybe a little bit of a golden age effect there. But any cause for pessimism or caution that you would see? Well, I think we'll cover that a little bit in the, the next section. But um, one quick thing I would say with the homeschool market is you know, Christian creators are going to have to be wise in how they write and market their books to this audience because the homeschool market is very discerning about what they want their kids to absorb. Now, parents can't obviously read every single book their kids are going to read. They'll, they won't be able to keep up with, with most homeschool kids who are avid readers. But at the same time, you know, trust is, if trust is broken, it's not easily given back. And so I, I think that there could be a situation where we'll say a Christian book really takes off and then uh, you uncover some questionable theology in it or questionable values or just questionable moral stances by the author or the authors. And that could turn off a lot of homeschoolers and, and word spreads fast in that community. There, there could be a case of people overplaying their hand a little bit there. But let me tell you one other area of readers that I do have some optimism for, since we're still talking about the optimist section is, is pastors. So I'm friends with a lot of the pastors at my church who are big science fiction and fantasy readers in general. Uh, I remember the first time finding out about this about 10 years ago when one of my pastors got on stage and he said, I, I can't even remember the context, but he said, uh, he said, I've read the zombie survival guide and I've read every single word in that book. <laughs> and I've read the other book by Max Brooks, World War Z, which is way better than the movie with Brad Pitt. No shock to anyone, but, uh, but that was like crazy to hear a pastor talk about that from the stage. And then, uh, I, I've gotten, become really good friends with this pastor. Uh, would love to have him on the show sometime to talk about this, but several other of my pastors at church are, are sci-fi fantasy fans. Now, some of them are more of the 
Tolkien and Lewis fantasy fans or, or Chesterton. So maybe they haven't really ventured beyond that, but I don't think they are necessarily closed off to that. That's just kind of what they're familiar with. A lot of these pastors are the same age as me. We're in our forties. These pastors are going to be in ministry for several more decades. And so I, I think that is a long runway for a, you know, a cultivation in a, in a love and appreciation of fiction to really take root in the church. Uh, these aren't the retiring pastors that are saying this. These are the current young pastors that are saying this. And when you look even younger at a lot of people that are fresh out of seminary, I mean, they grew up on Harry Potter. They grew up on Star Wars and maybe not the best Star Wars trilogies that like I grew up with the original Star Wars trilogy and I'm going to be a snob about that. But, you know, they have grown up awash in fantasy and sci-fi, which are dominating all of the top charts at the movie theaters. And even a lot of the top books are in this genre. When you hear it from the stage, it sort of gives you that permission to geek out a little bit. You know, I had read the, the not the zombie survival guide, but I'd read that World War Z and I was like, I don't think I've told a single other person in church, but now I can tell my pastor about that. And that's really fun. That is really fun and encouraging. Uh, if I might risk again, uh, playing the, the cautious role there, what I do see a lot of is, is some folks, uh, even in uh, church uh, influencer roles like that, who enjoy fantasy uh, and maybe a little sci-fi as well, but tends to be mostly fantasy because they've grown up not only with Star Wars and Harry Potter, et cetera, but because they've grown up enjoying Lewis and Tolkien and all of those sorts of uh, things, uh, because that's safe. You know, that's uh, that's the acceptable Christian fantasy. Uh, not that they would uh, turn their nose up at other stuff, but it's just a, it's just an issue of familiarity in that case. And so it's a bit of a, of a trap there. Well, I've actually had people tell me this. Well, we've got Lewis and Tolkien and we've got uh, Andrew Peterson's Wingfeather books. Why would we need anything else? Pastors, just because the job is really rough and they've got to keep a tight schedule uh, in order to not get burned out any more than they already would be, uh, they tend to be kind of pragmatic. You know, what's going to work? What's going to feed me the most readily? What is a trusted, uh, obviously good, solid Christian product that I can use uh, or that I can use to help train up my family or mention uh, in my sermons to the people at church? Uh, and it just becomes, uh, it becomes a new comfort. You know, it's not really challenging uh, to quote Lewis and Tolkien anymore. It's kind of baseline. Either that, or you have this compartmentalization effect uh, where what I preach or what I teach about in Sunday school doesn't have anything to do with the sorts of things that I enjoy Monday through Saturday. I'm not saying they're hypocrites. I'm just saying that, you know, you turn on uh, the new superhero show or something like that. And it's not like you're looking for sermon material. In fact, I prefer that they not look for sermon material. You know, if they're going to be cringe about it, then yes, please keep the wall up between the compartments. Uh, the other issue I see potentially there is that people will enjoy TV shows and movies, but not read books. So the fact that you mentioned that your pastor or pastors had actually been reading books is encouraging to me uh, because I, I always get um, a little uncertain when I hear people say, well, well all, all these movies, are all the, all the best, most popular movies are superheroes or fantasy or science fiction. So why don't we have more of these books? And wait a minute, you just jumped categories there from movies yeah. to books. Those are not always the same types of people. There are different people who enjoy movies. In fact, probably lots more because they're more mm -hmm. easily accessible. Uh, and then there's a smaller group. And then when you talk about Christians, it's even smaller. And when you talk about Christian pastors, it's even smaller uh, who enjoy reading fantasy and sci-fi, whether or not it's from a Christian author. Yeah. But again, it's when you hear that from the stage, you know, when one pastor says to a crowd of a couple hundred, couple thousand yeah, hey, that's I just a lot read of influence. This, yeah. Yeah. I read this book. It's like, oh, hey, I read that book or I've read books in that genre or, hey, I'm, I'm a reader, but I didn't know about this. And so it, it creates a lot of interest. Like there's, there's a huge effect, like a ripple effect that that could have. 
So yes, um, it's harder to convert a non-reader <laughs> to a reader, but I think someone who's already a reader, it's not too hard to convince them to check out a Christian fantasy or sci-fi book, especially if they're already reading secular fantasy or sci-fi. Or like you said, if they've read Tolkien, if they've read Lewis, you can start them with someone more contemporary. And I've done this on a number of occasions. I've gotten friends to read The Lamb Among the Stars um, that have been sci-fi readers forever, like Star Wars readers. And uh, my friend Brandon was like, sure, I'll try that out. And he loved it. <laughs> like he jumped in the Facebook group for that that book. And um, I don't think it's as hard to make those like conversions in a sense. But yes, books are definitely competing with other forms of media. And the fact is, in books, period, there's a very small upper class of authors and there's a huge lower class of authors. And the, the most known books are very, very few. There's only a few books that really rise to the attention of most people. And so you might have, like you mentioned, the Wing Feather Saga. That might be the only Christian fantasy book a lot of readers find out about. But I think that's still a start because then maybe someone else in their family, maybe someone else in their small group is like, oh, hey, I read that. I want to read something else. What else you got? <laughs> so uh, I, I think there's still a lot of potential for growth. Well, it does help if your pastor or whomever you're speaking to is a reader. Even if they're only reading nonfiction, the chances are they're going to be more interested in reading fiction then. Uh, even if they're a little uncertain about that, uh, they may at least be willing so long as they have the attention span and the discipline habits to read a book in the first place. I think the only hurdle there would be if you met a certain type of Christian who thinks that uh, fiction is evil or at least fantasy is not that great. But there are fewer of those types of folks around. Uh, some of our listeners may be more familiar with them uh, just because we have a very unique listener base. But that is not the mainstream view among Christians. Well, Zach, I think actually we, we've come to agreement here. I think there are signs of encouragement for sure, uh, particularly if you look at certain types of people. If you're looking out in the world, you know, this giant uh, all-encompassing category of all the people, uh, everybody in your country or in your you know, particular language group or ethnic group or whatever, uh, you're not going to see a lot of signs for optimism. Uh, but a good marketer, as well as just a discerning person, is going to look at the types of readers who would be most receptive to Christian-made fantastical novels, and they will see some signs of optimism. But I think you need to know where to look. And you've named a few types of people uh, where we would know how to look. And even behind the scenes at Lorehaven, we're talking about these specific types of people who now and certainly in the future are going to be more primed to enjoy these kinds of books. So I think we see some signs for optimism. But uh, if you're ready, let's move to chapter two, uh, which is when I am the pessimist, uh, the cautious pessimist in this discussion. Uh, it's not just a role. I am more pessimistic. And I would venture to say that aren't we a little too early to claim that the golden age is just ahead? Zach, I don't mean to put words in your mouth. I don't know if you think it's just ahead, but you may be seeing a little more gold than I am. Uh, that's where I would be not a fantasy fan, uh, seeing this uh, fantastical horizon, uh, but maybe more of a hard sci-fi fan. I'm going to put my feet right here on top of the metal plate, and I'm going to say, wait a minute, we need an explanation for how this craft gets its motive power. Like, I don't need to know exactly what goes on under the hood of this fantastical starship, but I need to at least feel that it's going to run. I want to know the details. I want to see the flashing lights and I want to feel that it is real. I want to get some kind of science or at least a demographic info behind it. Uh, and I would just caution people who want to see uh, more uh, growth for uh, this genre uh, and therefore more and better stories. Uh, I think it's, one would need to dial back the excitement just a little bit, just in case. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, 
uh, when, well, long before Lorehaven got started, uh, there was a blog called uh, Speculative Faith that I joined. It was a pre-existing effort uh, starting in the mid-2000s among Christian fantasy authors who were saying the same thing uh, that we're talking about now. Well, we need to raise awareness that there are, is a market for these types of books so that more Christian publishers will try them out. Well, in a sense, it worked. Uh, Christian publishers did try them out. It was still the early days of the internet and blogging. And way to go, speculative faith team. You guys got on to the whole blogging trend pretty early. And it led to good places. I think you probably would not have had uh, the publisher known today as Enclave uh, if it wasn't for some of that early advocacy. Uh, you would not have a Bethany House and Thomas Nelson and some of these other uh, bigger Christian publishers uh, trying their hand at fantasy. But with some exceptions, um, it's still a very niche genre. We've seen some slow progress there. Some of these publishers have tried it. Uh, you may disagree with the type of stories that they tried, or you may think they should have marketed better or whatever. You know, blame the guys at the top, right? You know, not so much uh, the readership for not finding the book. I don't blame the guys at the top. Uh, I think that you're right when you say that there is uh, mainly an issue here of supply exceeding demand. Uh, getting to some basic economics here. Uh, when demand for stuff exceeds supply, that's what we're doing right now. Uh, just as a globe, and certainly as a country, at least in the United States, you get inflation. Uh, too much demand, we want more stuff. There's not enough stuff uh, because of lockdowns or rules or you know China uh, not making enough stuff that we want. Uh, you get inflation. But what we've got here, I think, uh, and notwithstanding the big publishers I was talking about, You've got an issue of the supply exceeding the demand. There's lots of Christians out there, lots of young Christians mainly, uh, who grew up maybe with rules uh, against fantasy or you know some uncertain standards about popular culture, and then they would find Star Wars or, or Harry Potter or superhero movies or Lord of the Rings. I think there was a lot of people who found this with the Lord of the Rings films in the early 2000s, and they went, whoa, there's this thing called fantasy, and there's Lewis and Tolkien, and there's this whole world. Wow, fantasy's great. Why isn't there more of this? I shall go write some immediately and I will be the hero. We've talked some about this and, you know, just a good natured uh, ribbing of, uh, of this same pattern recurring with a lot of uh, aspiring Christian creators. And I think that boosts the supply over the demand because everybody who's demanding is also trying to supply. I don't think that that alone is going to lead to a golden age. Uh, something else needs to change. And we can talk about what in just a moment. Uh, as for whether we've had a golden age before, well, the Left Behind series started uh, roughly in 1995 and then had 12 volumes later, uh, lasting through 2003, I think. And then they still tried some spinoffs. There was a dramatic audio series and a so-so a movie with Kirk Cameron. Uh, and then they tried to fire it back up with the whole Nicholas Cage debacle um, <laughs> in 2014, I think it was. And somehow it made the TV movie with Kirk Cameron look better by comparison. And I don't know how uh, <laughs> Cage, by the way, is getting a renaissance, uh, but the Left Behind series did not. Frank Peretti is effectively retired. He was the, the previous, you know, Christian fantastical king. And then Ted Decker, not sure what Ted Decker is doing, but th those are kind of the three kingpins, you know, at least among the yeah. male authors doing something that was not a uh, straight up fantasy. You know, they all did more contemporary fantasy with some spiritual warfare going on. Even then, I don't think we had a golden age. You may call that a bronze age if you're talking about contemporary evangelicalism and some of the themes that we uh, talked about with uh, Christianity Today's Daniel Silliman uh, back last fall in 2021. If that wasn't the golden age, I'm not sure we can say that a golden age is ahead because we've got different issues, uh, a lot of supply exceeding demand. 
but there's other stuff going on. I think Christians are confused about our place in the culture uh, to a large extent. And the stuff that we're getting and in some of the books that I see, because we review a lot of books at Lorehaven and we positively review books, but we are seeing a lot of books that, that we don't review. And I, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but I will see that some of the books that we see, especially you know more independently published books, tend to have some pretty basic genres or pretty basic themes. And generally, I would just call it basic fantasy. You know, swords and orphans and dragons and castles and, you know, a lot of medieval stuff um, in ancient prophecies and things like that. And I see a lot of the pitches and that, frankly, as a reader, they don't grab me because they all kind of blend together and nothing really stands out as being uniquely Christian. I think the secular people would need to throw in some really hardcore sex and violence, you know, and identity crisis and, you know, political correct stuff, sexualityism uh, to spice the place up. Christians won't do that and they shouldn't do that. But as a result, uh, the food tastes kind of bland. And then I would say just kind of lastly, as part of my, my pessimism here, again, part role, part genuine, Christians still haven't really come to a shared agreement about what fiction is for in the first place. And I've lamented this in previous podcasts and will continue to do so. Uh, that as long as the folks uh, contributing to the supply uh, are mainly trying to work some things out, uh, whether their own feelings about their own backgrounds or maybe heal from uh, some trauma that they've had, I mean, that's necessary. You know, if stories help you do that, great, please write the story. But that doesn't necessarily mean uh, it's going to be a top tier uh, Christian made fantasy that thousands of other readers are going to love. Uh, and in order to get a golden age, you're going to need thousands and thousands of readers, not just hundreds, because right now I see a lot of hundreds. Uh, you need thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of support uh, to get even a hint of a golden age for Christian-made fantasy in the future. Yeah, I, I think what you're talking about is resonance, that there are a lot of Christian stories that don't quite resonate with what readers are, are wanting to read about. And um, yeah, and, that, and that's a challenge. You know, you've got to discern what those felt needs are, you've got to write a story that addresses those needs and that kind of addresses the pain of the reader. So two things. Number one, um, you know, you mentioned that there's not a widespread agreement on the purpose of fiction or a theology of fiction. I think that this is changing, though, because I recently did a search on websites like the Gospel Coalition and First Things, and I just typed in the word fiction, and I found all kinds of great articles, uh, some of them that go back 10 or so years. And so I, I think there are a lot of Christian ministry leaders that are trying to cultivate this mindset towards fiction, like, like a biblical mindset that fiction is good <laughs> and that even fantastical fiction is good. I searched for fantasy and actually found some good articles there as well. It may take a while for that to kind of trickle down to the congregation level. I do see that changing in a positive way. But the other thing I see changing is the loss of the subscriber base from Netflix, Disney Plus, and other streaming services. Netflix has lost 200,000 subscribers. They were trying to add 2 million something this quarter, and their stock is absolutely tanked, Stephen. I, I looked at it over the past two years, and it's like it's down like a third of its high point. Wow. And you know, it, it shot up at the beginning of COVID, like this time two years ago, and Netflix was everyone's best friend. Because what are we going to do all day? We can't go anywhere. I guess we'll just uh, watch a bunch of Netflix. And then Disney Plus came along and they really took off. But now Disney has also destroyed their own brand. You know, these companies are, it's not that they have content that's objectionable or offensive. It's that they are pushing this content and doubling down on offensive or controversial 
or just highly sexualized and politicized content that no one really wants. It's just a very fringe percentage of our country that wants all this like uber political stuff. So I, I think that so many people are unsubscribing, canceling it, and they're not, they're never going to go back. That, that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand is that once you break that trust, like I was saying earlier, it's very, very hard to get back when, when people lose trust in a brand. And so I think that is opening up a lot of people to say, you know what, maybe all the streaming media was just really bad for us. You know, my parents taught me when I was a kid that TV was going to rot my brain and destroy my eyesight. And so maybe we need to go back to books <laughs> or audiobooks. You know, I think audiobooks are actually growing quite a bit more than just print books or even ebooks. I think demand is going to go up for reading. It's a, it's a huge opportunity, but I think the the challenges that Christian creators have got to pay attention and really capture that opportunity. I really hope you're right. At, at the same time, I think the principle could translate. We were talking earlier about pastors and other people who are interested in Lewis and Tolkien and maybe fantastical TV shows they grew up with and loved. Uh, but maybe are slower to catch on to this whole idea that there are newer fantastical stories made by Christian creators. Uh, a lot of people, when you tell them about that, and I know because I've done that, and they'll say, well, I don't read Christian fiction. Why, why not? Like, what, what's, what's the issue? Uh, Christian fiction is all bad. Uh, there's too much of it, and what little there is of it is not engaging the real world. It's very shallow. It's very sentimentalized. In other words, to them, the brand has been tarnished. Uh, that's why I don't use the phrase Christian fiction. I, I talk about Christian made fiction, kind of the same thing. We just drop in the made, you know, this is not a label. This is not a, a bookstore shelf label. Uh, it's just a, a story that could be excellent. It could be terrible, but it just happens to be made by a Christian. So a little rebranding may help with that. If I may dare a little optimism there. Uh, but keeping with my pessimism, I'm not exactly sure that this means that streaming is over. I think it's just getting more diverse. Uh, Netflix was first into the whole streaming revolution starting many years ago. And to Netflix uh, basically became a verb or more like uh, somebody referring to an adhesive bandage as a Band-Aid or a tissue as a Kleenex. You know, Netflix became synonymous with streaming TV. Well, now that's not the case. You mentioned Disney+. Plus. There's HBO Max, and uh, they just merged, uh, or Warner Media just merged with Discovery to make another giant company, and so they're getting in the game even more. There's lots of other streaming platforms, and so yeah, Netflix is going to shed subscribers because of what's going on now, and maybe some of the post-pandemic crash. And there's other streaming services that might drop, like Disney, uh, but I think maybe those numbers are just being redistributed. Or maybe it's a temporary lull. Hey, maybe the cuties boycott worked. Remember we did that episode <laughs> uh, with Cap Stewart back in fall 2020. Uh, I'd like to attribute uh, some of the subscriber shed to the whole Netflix promotes child pedophilia in order to tell us how bad sexually exploitative media is thing. But I'm not sure that it was just a Netflix boycott or a cancel Netflix uh, campaign. Uh, I think you're, you're probably right uh, that it was post-pandemic stuff. But also, uh, I think people are still hooked on their TV. Um, Maybe some of them will turn off the TV more permanently and go to books. I'd certainly hope that if there are people like that, it would be Christians because we're not legalists here. We don't believe that TV is evil, but we are people whose faith is founded on a written word, a written word that communicates images and a relationship with Jesus Christ exclusively. But God wants us to study books. That's kind of his thing. That's the way that he revealed his inerrant word. 
in a way that everybody can get into. It's called the uh, perspicuity of scripture. It's the clarity of scripture. Uh, If if God had made a movie back then, we wouldn't have got it nearly so well. Uh, There'd be spoken word issues. There'd be cultural issues. But the Bible is what we study. The Bible is what we should be getting into. And therefore, other books are a little bit closer to uh, our home field advantage. I think the you know there is a um, article on Screen Rant, which we can maybe link to, but it it actually takes a contrary view about the Netflix subscribers going to other services. People are canceling in mass. Oh really? These, okay. Yeah, a lot of the it said the title is Netflix losing subscribers is bad for Disney Plus and HBO Max too. Fascinating. And okay. uh, it goes on to explain, but uh, you know a big thing besides objectionable content is the fact that these streaming services are going up in price and making it more difficult to uh you know use the service basically or there, there's a lot of uh talk about the whole password sharing thing and they're, they're going to crack down on that and or maybe offer like ad supported streaming plans and you know you think about why did people originally get these streaming services it's to get away from the whole cable wars and to get away from all the commercials it was so simple to to watch something on your phone or tablet or even computer or hook something up to your tv and the, the more that these streaming services make that harder and make that more expensive, I mean, I mean, they're just, they're killing the original appeal that, that they had. I'm not saying their fate is sealed, but I, I'm not saying they're going to figure this out anytime soon. So the, the other thing I saw recently, it was kind of more of a meme, but how, you know, it used to be with cable. It's like you had all these different packages you had to choose from and all these channels you didn't really want. And so then everyone started doing the a la carte thing. And now there's a million a la carte op- options. You know, you mentioned the whole universal thing and there's Peacock and Hulu. What, you know, there's just a million of these things now. And people are like, I can't keep up with all this. I'm just going to take a break. Whereas a book, much simpler, very low cost of entry. And I, I think it is more challenging sometimes to, uh, you know, have the attention that you need to read a book rather than just turn on something or just scroll through social media. Like it's definitely a different skill in a sense. But what, what I'm trying to say is that the need for entertainment is never going to go away. Right. And, and if people are turning away from one form of entertainment, they're going to look elsewhere. If Christians are there wisely offering stories. And I, I think, you know, you've got to play that balance of being open about the fact that you're a Christian being unashamed, you know, not trying to hide it, but at the same time, the, the, what readers come to a story for is a good story for they come for good entertainment. If, if they're turning off Netflix cause they're tired of being preached at or politicized, they're not going to open a book. That's like, Hey, I'm going to preach at you and politicize you with this book. If Christians can take advantage of the moment wisely, then I think books will take off. I really hope you're right. I do have another burst of pessimism before we move <laughs> into, I think the shared optimism stage is what we could do. Uh, to get to an, a real golden age and what would that look like? First, we are coming out of the pandemic lockdowns. I think for real this time, I'm going to go flying now uh, tomorrow without wearing a mask, which is amazing. But that has thrown off all kinds of different cultural shifts. Uh, you've got people switching political parties over this stuff. Uh, you have people suddenly discovering uh, what their kids were learning in schools. You've got people changing religions or digging in deeper, more likely into the religions that they already had. I'm going to suggest that that maybe is leading to some artificial conditions uh, that may not last or, or it could lead to a cultural shift. I don't know. But my thought there is that I really wish we had some surveys to ask people, hey, why did you cancel Netflix? Why did you mm. cancel Disney Plus? If they yeah. asked me or maybe if they asked you, I, I think you still have uh, subscribed to that stuff. OK, so let's say they asked me because I have canceled them. But let, 
So they ask me, okay, well, I dropped my Netflix, not only because of the, uh, you know, the pedophilia garbage that they doubled down on and defended because art and all that uh, back in the fall of 2020, but because we just weren't using it. Uh, we even had the lower tier plan there. And I think they had, they had up the price a couple of times and it's just, it's a line item on my bill and I watch our budget very carefully and we just weren't watching it as much. So it didn't, didn't justify it. Uh, similar effect with Disney plus I haven't watched a thing on Disney plus, uh, since I think watching Encanto, uh, and then watching uh, Boba Fett. Uh, I found the Marvel superhero shows kind of forgettable. I really didn't care to anticipate the others. So even the big event stuff with a uh, familiar and to a lot of people comforting and nostalgia based company wasn't working on me. So, you know, at least so far, um, I'm, I'm just not using it. I think if a lot of people are going so far as to cancel something like Disney plus, cause Disney's, you know, nearly century old company. Now there's all kinds of brand equity in there or there was, but if you're a normal type of person and you cancel that one of two things are happening. First, you may be paying attention to the news. Uh, you know about the stuff we've talked about previously on this podcast, uh, and that you've probably heard about, especially if you follow the cultural conservative, uh, news makers and such that there were leaks from Disney creators talking about the false religion they're going to put in their TV shows. You know, okay, maybe one of those is a little weird, but there were several of them that all got dropped at the same time. And it could be that people said, okay, that's it. I'm out. Uh, like, I'm not going to enable that sort of thing. That's gross. It doesn't take a, you know, uber Christian conservative homeschooler to do that. It may just take a, a regular type of person who's not a Christian. They're not the same thing. The second reason that people may be canceling Disney Plus, or maybe it's a combo of these two reasons. The second reason is that we are still in that aforementioned period of inflation. Everyone's bills are going up. Taxes are going up. Uh, the cost of milk is going up. The cost of gasoline is going way up with no signs of stopping. Uh, people could be thinking kind of like I thought, like, wait a minute, not only am I having to work more, not only do I want to take better care of my family because I'm working so hard, I want to make sure that I'm watching out for my kids more. But I also just don't have money left over for something like Netflix or Disney Plus. So, you know, even a materialistic, you know, entertainment craving American uh, is going to know to trim the fat a little bit. Uh, and frankly, you can't probably can't trim the uh, gasoline budget or the food budget, trim the entertainment budget. I think a lot of people are going straight for that. And I don't think it necessarily means that they're suddenly going to get into books that they weren't in the habit of reading books before. I'm not sure they're going to be now. Uh, it's like thinking that you're going to get, you know, $1,200 exercise equipment in your room. Uh, if you weren't already going for a jog on your block, I think you're probably not going to commit to a workout. Uh, if you're watching a lot of TV, you're probably not going to immediately jump into books. And, and I would suggest, Zach, uh, that you mentioned the price of, of the, what is it? You said the entry point or the, the entry cost for books is lower. Uh, isn't it actually higher? Disney Plus is eight bucks a month. Uh, that might get you a new ebook. Uh, maybe that's, you know, five to eight dollars. But like a, a paperback is going to be 10 to 15 dollars uh, and a hardcover is going to be 20 to 25 dollars. Well, there's uh, always libraries, Amazon. though, where you, there's where you can always check it out. Libraries, your local library, you know, paid yeah. for by your own taxes. So or you yeah, definitely go there. Your friends, your yeah. friends who have these okay. books and they'll, they'll so happily learn a lending out. library with your friends. There you but go. Even then, even if you got the books for free, if you're not in the habit of reading, yeah. uh, the, the price point is still high. You know, if you've just yeah. gotten rid of something you're familiar with, like Disney, I'm not sure you're going to pick up something unfamiliar like reading books. Sure, sure. That, that's, a, that's definitely an obstacle. And, you know, I'm thinking in my mind of the Venn diagram of Net, Netflix subscribers who are also readers, you know, and now it, it's because it is hard to convert a non-reader to a reader, but someone who's already a reader and he was like, you know what? I've been watching too much Netflix. I should read more books. I, I think that's a little bit easier of a hurdle. But 
I also think you're right about the, if I'm having to work more because my money is worth less, then I have less time to read and I'm more distracted. I need something that I can read very easily. And you know what? This is true for me too, Stephen. I have a couple of books that have been sitting on my shelf. One is like an epic fantasy. Another one is an epic sci-fi series. And another one is a sci-fi thriller. And this third one, uh, it's a thriller by Blake Crouch. It's the Wayward Pine series. Uh, I realized this week, it's like, I just need something to read that I know is going to hold my attention and I can read quickly because I just just need to get my mind off a couple of things going on this week. And I've already read 250 pages of this 300 page book in a couple of days <laughs> because it just flies. You know, I fly through Blake Crouch's books and it it's a trusted brand because I, I know it's going to be an entertaining story that holds my attention. Some of these other, you know, epic 800 page books that I know are going to be more chewy, <laughs> you know, more of like a, uh, a five course meal rather than just like some kind of fast food or whatever. I, I'm putting those off when I have a little bit more bandwidth. And so it really depends on the type of book that someone is willing to invest in time wise, not just money wise. We may see certain kinds of books beat out others. I mean, the honest truth is if you go to any bookstore, the mystery thriller section is way bigger than the sci-fi fantasy section. And so that, and, you know, you go to any airport uh, bookstore and that's the same thing. Those are the books that face out. Like when you walk by, uh, there is going to be higher interest towards some genres. But the reason I like Blake Crouch as an author is because his books are sci-fi. They're just in a thriller format. You know, that's really kind of catching my attention. And I'm, I'm kind of rethinking the types of books and, and uh, writing that I should invest in a little bit. That makes sense. And I think that uh, point about the Venn diagram is a good one, uh, because even if the Venn diagram for X Netflix subscribers and potential book readers was a circle, uh, we still haven't made the jump to specifically Christian-made books, specifically Christian-made fantasy books. Uh, that's uh, at least two more uh, genre descriptors there added on. Uh, that shrinks the pie just a little bit if you're talking about the Venn diagram. Uh, but if you're talking about Christians uh, who are canceling Netflix or moving on from a lot of binge-watching uh, based on principle, uh, and because a lot of uh, Christians now increasingly enjoy fantastical books, well, then there you go. You know, there's just a few hurdles left, uh, you know, access to these kinds of books because not every, not hardly anyone's going to a physical Christian bookstore anymore. Uh, but there's also that brand question of I don't read Christian fiction because it's bad and or unrealistic and it doesn't seem to meet my needs and it's all for women. You know, some of the stereotypes that just aren't true anymore. So there's a few hurdles to that. Uh, there's a few barriers uh, on our way on the golden path leading to the golden age. But one of those hurdles, of course, uh, is just the fact that people need practice reading. And that leads us to our second sponsor for this episode. It's the perfect segue. I'm not going to miss it. Do not practice reading fantasy novels or any other books in isolation. If you're not used to it, the best way to get used to it, to discipline yourself, to enjoy these fantastical stories is to do so in community. And that leads us to the Lorehaven Guild, our exclusive community on Discord. You can join simply by subscribing to Lorehaven. Free? Just go to lorehaven.com. Put your email address in the subscriber box and we will send you a welcome message with the portal into the guild. As we record this, we are wrapping our fourth monthly book quest for S.D. Smith's novel, The Green Ember. And our next book quest, starting Monday, May the 2nd, is for the book that we just uh, reviewed at Lorehaven. And we also had the author, Daniel Schwabauer, here on the podcast. It's Maxine Justice, Galactic Attorney, whimsical, gilded sci-fi about an attorney who's struggling to 
make a name for herself. And then she gets hired by aliens to represent them at the United Nations for a kind of corporate first contact scenario. Different kind of story we thought it would be great to explore as members of the Lorehaven Guild. So join up, become a hero, and then you'll be ready to explore Maxine Justice and other stories uh, along with the community of faithful discerning, but also fun Christian readers in the Lorehaven Guild. From there, speaking of hopes, let's go to chapter three about what would a golden age look like? What would it take to get uh, to a more thriving environment for more and better Christian-made fantastical books? Zach, I actually think I'll modify my sentence there. Not just more of these books, because you said we've already got a supply over demand issue potentially, but I think better of these books. I would almost prefer quality over quantity in this case. I don't want to shut anybody out, uh, but I think one hallmark of a golden age is you will see books start to rise to the top uh, that are acknowledged to be potential future classics or at least super popular. And on the author side, I think that means you're going to see more people as full-time authors. Uh, a lot of the supply that we're seeing comes from people like us, frankly, uh, who are doing uh, books, uh, writing, authoring, that sort of thing as a side hustle. Uh, there's nowhere near on the horizon uh, the possibility that any of us are going to get to do this full-time. That is a very uh, rare thing if you're talking about on the author side. And the authors who do manage to do it, uh, have a very unique personality. They have a head for business and a heart for story, but they don't mind just cranking them out. Uh, quantity over quality there. And if you want the secrets to all that, free plug for Thomas Soomstat Jr.'s podcast. He tells you how to do it uh, if you want to be in, on the indie author scene. But I think even before you're talking about the process, I think I go back to my point earlier is that Christians at least need to some uh, need to come to some kind of subconscious consensus about the purpose of fiction. And Zach, I actually am inspired by our last episode about the uh, the hypothetical role of the story pastor. Uh, we were talking about the fact that a lot of churches have a music pastor because we, I think, even though we have worship wars sometimes, I think we largely might be closer to agreement on the purpose of music. We know that music is not just a tool for evangelism, but we know that music intrinsically glorifies God. If we're at least partially familiar with the Psalms, you know that if you are singing to God in a room without a pagan in there who's going to be inspired to pray the sinner's prayer, you know that music has a purpose to glorify God simply as a means of expression of gratitude to God, prayer to God, and singing as an art form reflecting the creative heart of God. We already know this about music. I think it's just a matter of taking that same philosophy and understanding that fiction and fantasy fiction does the same thing. It intrinsically can honor God. Uh, not just as an evangelism tool or a means to confer uh, moral virtues to the kids. Uh, fantasy storytelling is just as glorifying to God as music. Uh, I also think that if we are to have a golden age, uh, we would be looking for success among Christians and not just looking for stuff to get big on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, I think a lot of Christians, and I know because I was there, uh, we got really, really hyped when the Left Behind books started hitting the New York Times bestseller list. And that was legit crossover success. I never would have expected that when I started uh, reading the books in 1997. Then I think it was around 1999 that suddenly they're hitting the big leagues uh, and the books are going into Walmart and uh, all kinds of interesting developments. Still not a golden age. Still not a golden age. But I think that we might have a golden age without those big bestseller list statuses. I think it might, again, be more about quality than quantity of copies sold. Uh, I think that Christians, at least from a marketing vantage, 
uh, need to basically stop thinking about bookstores, stop thinking about having uh, the books appear on the bestseller list, but maybe think more like the old comic book shops of old. You have this entire subculture developing in these little tiny shops and strip malls, you know, and kids going in there in the 40s and 50s. Oh, I was one of them, Getting their decoder rings. Yeah, well, in the 40s and 50s? No, well, in in the early 90s, I I went to the... Yeah, still going on, yeah. Yeah, there's a baseball uh, card and comic book store real close to where I grew up. It's still there. I went there all the time with my friends. We rode our bikes up there. We, uh, we, you know, got some baseball cards, got some comic books, went got a, uh, you know, Slurpee or whatever. And, uh, man, I have so many good memories of that. I'm really glad you brought that up. That's, uh, I, I think you're right that that's the kind mm-hmm. of environment that, that these kind of books need to be discovered. Now, how do we do that nowadays? I don't quite know. Yeah. Uh, but, but you're right. I think it's that those small communities that really, uh, garner this interest. Yeah. And Zach, I know you've been really big on the cultivation of a smaller, uh, hyper local community. And I, I share that goal as much as I can, uh, with the time that I have, uh, I think it starts at that local level, uh, thinking more like the little tiny comic book shop, uh, rather than the big Christian publisher, you know, we got to get the big Christian publisher to publish more fantasy. No, I think that's skipping, uh, too far ahead. Uh, I think you need to cultivate the ground where you are, uh, your local church, your local community. I mean, that's what Lorehaven tries to do. And I mean, yes, it is a little bit more bigger picture focused being a website. We're having resources and staff creators from all around the country, but still intentionally reaching local people and then drawing folks, uh, hopefully into the Lorehaven Guild uh, as more of a, uh, at least a simulacrum. Uh, sim- simulacrum how do you say that <laughs> i'm a homeschooler i don't know how to pronounce <laughs> things as well uh that virtual version of a local community that's what we're trying to put together uh real quick to finish up i think if we are to have a golden age of christian made fantastical fiction i think we would see more variety among the stories uh, i mentioned some of the uniformity that i see uh, at least among some self-published titles uh, a lot of um Shall we say a lot, a lot more female-friendly uh, stories, uh, not only self-published but from smaller publishers. I've noticed the book covers are getting a little bit pinker and purpler out there. It's just a fact. Uh, I think we might see more science fiction, and we might see more paranormal. I might even see some horror. Oh, the horror! Well, not just fantasy, at least, and not just uh, fantasy with a strong female lead and a medieval spin-off setting. Uh, personally, I'm ready to branch out. Uh, if you start pitching a, a science fiction book, like for example, Maxine Justice, Galactic Attorney, then I'm going to sit up and take notice because it already seems pretty different from all the other books out there. I think a golden age would have a, a much wider spectrum of gold uh, than the more pinker, purpler, uh, more fantasy uh, side of the color there. Um, I also might suggest just from the author end uh, that you would see people uh, who are creating fantasy uh, not as a means of working out uh, some of their thoughts on Christianity or identity, uh, maybe some he- self-healing attempts there. Uh, but I think more authors would be creating stories out of a, out of a surplus, frankly, uh, a sur- not just a surplus of talent or a surplus of time, uh, but a surplus of grace. You know, a, a good author, I think, who's going to rise to the top is going to have more to give. Sometimes I can tell them when I'm reading a book, like, I think this author is really struggling with something. And I think this story may have helped them. But then if someone is struggling with something, then I feel like the author is leading me with an unsteady hand. You know, I, I oh, want, absolutely. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? I, I didn't yeah, even write this I, down. Uh, can you help me with the words here? So I, I've been thinking about this and l- let me just okay. name what it is. I, I think a lot of books that are being written by Christians, like you said, they're, they're, they're not simply 
exploring these issues or questions they've had, they're deconstructing. Let's just call it what well, it is. Well, that's true. Yeah. Well, I, I'm thinking yeah. more about emotional doubt, not so much intellectual doubt, but that's true. Uh, you know, and, I, and I'm yeah. literally thinking of a few authors now who are clearly working through some stuff and I, I don't think they need to be writing fiction at least while they're struggling with this. Right. But I also think that authors and speakers who, who go through this process, they sort of disappear after a while. I was um, reading an article recently about, it's like whatever happened to Rob Bell, for example, or the people that came before Rob Bell or the people that came after Rob Bell. Well, they went farewell, yeah. Rob Bell, yeah. of course. <laughs> they sort of disappear from the Christian group consciousness, if you will. Books that go through that process or books that are sort of like hypercritical of Christian culture, those aren't really going to work. Books for a Christian audience have to celebrate the shared faith have to be written from a place of joy and a place of love and books that are just standing on a different kind of soapbox aren't going to work. Yeah. It's just another kind of message fiction. Uh, uh, Seemingly uh, the author has grown up very familiar with the message first creativity later uh, approach to fiction creation. Uh, And so they decide, well, I'm going to do something completely different from that left behind series that just wanted me to uh, to sit around waiting for Jesus to come back. Right. Well, instead, I'm going to do the same thing. Just change the message. Like I'm still over here going, you know, if it's message driven fiction designed to help you feel better about your troubles by propagandizing me, then it's not a great story. It's almost always not a great story. Whereas someone with a a surplus of grace and imagination who clearly has been gifted by God with talent and life stability and maturity and creativity, generally that kind of person uh, may not have the absolute best story in the world, but they're going to be leading you into the story with a firmer hand. I'm not sure how else to describe that. It's just, it's a difference I've seen among some books uh, and it's not even traditional publishing versus independent publishing. Uh, I've read uh, books by authors who generally know what they're talking about uh, and who clearly are in it for the happiness of the task. And I've also read books by authors who are clearly struggling. Uh, And the book was a struggle and every book is a struggle, but this book clearly more of a struggle than normal, especially if they're trying to deal with uh, maybe some themes of uh, theology or suffering that they don't seem to have a firm grip on in their reality. And so it doesn't feel like they have a firm grip on in their fiction. Uh, I think you're going to have more of those, uh, more of those firm foundation stories if we're going to get to a, a golden age of Christian-made fantasy. Yeah, and one of those excellent books that you've talked about earlier in this episode was The Wingfeather Saga by Andrew Peterson. Uh, my kids love those books. They, they really just evoke this sense of joy and wonder and just humor and uh, excitement, adventure. And now that series is coming to an animated streaming drama. Our listeners might know about that. And, you know, I think, Stephen, how this is received is going to be very instructive. I, I don't think, you know, everything hinges on the show taking off. I think we got to get away from those kind of mindsets like, this is my moment. Yeah, the ship has come in and now yeah. we're all going to be rich. Right. But I, I do think it is going to be a turning point of some kind. And similarly, but in a sort of different direction, I think Amazon's The Rings of Power is going to be another turning point. You know, is Amazon going to keep catering to one corner of Twitter with with their sort of message fiction? Or are they going to kind of back off and say, you know what? We want to make stories that a a wide spectrum of our audience is going to enjoy. We're not going to hit them over the head with the message. We're just going to make a great story. I I honestly don't know uh, what's going to happen. We'll see. But again, I think that's going to be a turning point because 
it, it could go either way. It could go with them really fostering that love of these of Tolkien and other similar stories to where that causes a resurgence of interest in Tolkien and similar authors, or they're going to so turn people off that people are going to cancel their Amazon subscription. And by the way, I think that is a much harder step for people to take because people don't cancel Amazon because they don't like the streaming options. You know, the streaming options is kind of secondary to why people get Amazon. But if, if Amazon destroys their own brand, like Netflix and Disney have, that will be a huge turning point. I think that again, could be one of those opportunities for Christian creators. Dude, I canceled Amazon too. I don't even remember (laughs) when, but I am ruthless, man. Like, and I'm not even like this really boycott heavy type person. It's just, if I'm not using it, then I don't see any reason to hold on to it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm watching the budget. I want to watch how I budget my time and I really think it then becomes about that, that broader Christian perception of how, how do I use my time? You know, do I, do I divide my recreational pursuits for my spiritual growth pursuits? Or do I see that all of my time is a gift from God and all of it, every moment, Monday through Sunday, every hour, whether sleeping or working or taking care of my kids at home or going to the office or reading a book or watching a show, all of it is time gifted by God. And all of it has potential to help us be more like Jesus, which is the chief end of man to become like Jesus. We can glorify God and worship him forever. Uh, if you can do that through Netflix, great. Amazon, Disney plus, whatever. Great. Uh, secular book. Great. Christian book. Great. But in, uh, as, as we're getting better Christian books, uh, I think that if you want to maximize your time, uh, then an excellent, at least in theory, an excellent Christian made fantastical book uh, is going to do more with less time. Uh, you're going to have themes in there. You're going to go on a journey uh, that you're not going to be able to go on uh, if you're watching Rings of Power on Amazon uh, or something else on Netflix. Like You can definitely uh, glorify Jesus through watching a show like that, so long as you're not sinning any more than usual, right? You know, It's not just entertainment. Stories have power and all of that. But a Christian-made story has a unique power. Uh, it comes from a Christian family member. If it's good, then it is glorifying God, not only to your head, but to your heart. Uh, and I think that as more Christians are understanding that and that when supply and demand level off and we don't have the inflation effect or any of the other effects going on, then I think then maybe we won't see a golden age, uh, but we may see a gilded age, uh, you know, using that kind of retro term. Uh, there may be gold at the edges, uh, kind of like the gold at the edges of the old Bibles, you know, and I'll take that. Uh, I think that's all that we can hope for is just little bits of gold, little bits of value here and there. But got to end with an eschatological reference. Uh, the golden age of Christian creativity in any way uh, is probably never going to come until Christ comes. And after that, I think in the new heavens and new earth, when Christians are set free with a surplus of creativity and talent and grace and energy, uh, then we will have the most amazing stories ever made. Obviously, not just in books, in real life, but real life comes with periods of rest as well as hard work for the glory of God. You'll want to sit around. You'll want to read a book in the new heavens and new earth, probably more often than you'll want to read a book now. And even better, you'll have the capacity for it. You'll have the training. Uh, you'll be able to do so in community. Uh, that future golden age for Christian fantastical fiction will be awesome. Well, to you, our listener, if you have thoughts about the golden or gilded age of Christian fiction, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com or find us on social media. Look for Lorehaven. Leave us a comment on this episode. 
uh, or go to lorehaven.com and you can you can comment right there on the episode page. You know, Stephen, uh, I actually have some immediate feedback now that I've thought about it. It's kind of funny and ironic is that, you know, being the optimist that I am, I have not canceled Netflix, Disney or Amazon. And so but I you're am still op- doing more reading, buddy. Yes, but I'm doing more reading. OK, I, I'm, again, good. I'm I'm optimistic that the streaming services will uh, come back to the center a little bit. <laughs> there was a joke I saw yesterday about how, you know, Netflix is cranking out these Ryan Reynolds and The Rock. Dwayne Johnson uh, action movies where they're just punching things and it's just kind of a dumb kind of fun. And it's like, yeah, that's what I loved in movies, you know, growing up in the eighties and nineties, just these kind of entertaining movies that weren't the message or whatever. So I'm optimistic. Maybe it'll change, but at the same time, I'm, (laughs) I'm trying to invest a lot more time in Christian literature. So if you are a listener, have some thoughts along these lines, you know, how are you responding to this? How are you, you know, preparing for this potential golden age. We again, please send us a note. And that note will arrive at our comm station. Uh, Zach just sent himself a note and I, I just sent myself a note as well. I can also be optimistic, Zach, uh, because the one service that I've not canceled, well, there's Crunchyroll, which is anime. Yes, yeah. I'll allow <laughs> myself. But also HBO Max comes along with my cable bill. Otherwise, I would have canceled it because they have utterly failed so far to hashtag restore the Snyderverse. But they probably <laughs> will uh, because of that merger I mentioned earlier, which, by the way, has also resulted in going after the CNN Plus service, right? I mean, Zach, I know you were first in line to sign up for some CNN Plus, but <laughs> I'm sorry, it failed. You'll get your money back. No Chris Wallace for you, bud. Uh, <laughs> but I've also held on to the HBO Max uh, just in the hope that they will uh, put some better stuff on there, uh, even though it still gets kind of nasty. But I'm still trying to pick up my reading as well. But anyway, speaking of reading, uh, we got some text messages here in the comm station. So no holographic display, no, uh, no Vox transmissions. A lot of uh, feedback about our past episode 109, uh, the one we were speculating about story pastors, kind of the prequel of this episode, really. Uh, some of the feedback we got was, of course, people signing up uh, to be an imaginary pastor, an imaginary church. A uh, lot of imagination in this episode. As Zach said, we were kind of dreaming big. Uh, but some of the feedback we got was saying, well, why couldn't we just, you know, put the church librarian on steroids. You know, she's already cultivating the books. So she's already maybe hosting book clubs. You know, why couldn't we just do that? Uh, which kind of gets uh, back to my point, Zach, is that, well, it doesn't have to be a story pastor, which may be too hard of a sell. Uh, just make a story steward, uh, which basically would be synonymous with church librarian, a role open to both men and women. Yeah. Uh, Emery Alexander wrote to us and said, quote, I am the pastor of a small church and I've written several short stories. I recently began to consider how I could incorporate stories into my sermons. As preachers, we often use illustrations, which are usually true stories. However, I believe a modern parable could be helpful as well. End quote. That is true. And yet I think that sharing great stories at church uh, has applications that include, but are certainly not limited to uh, sermon illustrations. Uh, a bit of a cautionary note there. I think, in fact, that's actually one of those things that is held back. Uh, the uh, the presence of Christian-made stories in church is uh, there's this conception that Christians, we just can't help but have sometimes, that if it's not practically useful uh, in a Sunday morning worship service, then it's either useless or it is somehow distinct from the Christian's salvation journey. It's, uh, it's secular. It doesn't mean it's bad. It just means like, well, what has that to do with my sanctification? Uh, I think that stories are something that we enjoy Monday through Sunday, not just on Sunday. Yeah, you know, great. Put some in the sermons for sure. Like, I really, really appreciate that thought there, uh, Pastor Alexander. Uh, But also enjoy the stories, share them with your friends, you know, get a book club, whatever you need to do. If you find a good one, 
then whether or not your church has a story pastor or a church librarian, share that with your Christian friends and talk about it, discern it, break it down, find the idols, but also find the grace in that story. And hopefully you will grow, grow, grow. We also got a uh, comment here from our most recent article on lorehaven.com from H.L. Burke, which was about found families. And uh, we had a comment that said, quote, I love this article. Very well stated with excellent examples. Thanks for sharing this and for sharing some wonderful found families with us in your books, end quote. Zach, we're kind of cheating there a little bit, including the comments from the articles. But I want to do more of that because we have some great articles at Lorehaven. And as we talked about recently, also a controversial article or two. Uh, this one is another take on a very similar subject of the found family issue. Uh, H.L. Burke is the author of the uh, Supervillain Rescue Project series and a bunch of other great fantasy and superhero books. She knows her stuff. She knows the found family trope. Uh, we recently did a uh, book quest uh, for her book, Power On, uh, in the Lorehaven Guild Discord server. This is a really great article. We'll, of course, link to that in the show notes. I encourage you to read that and think about not only the flaws of found family, uh, the fact that some people can, by accident or even by design, uh, turn the found family into a justification for something that is not family, but also keep in mind the fact that not only God adopting us as sons of his, but also just the amazing found families that we have in our lives can glorify him. Uh, it's not a cause for undue alarm, uh, certainly a cause for discernment, but also a cause for rejoicing. Found families can be great in fiction and certainly in real life. Next on Fantastical Truth, well, one of us, ah, uh, me, is actually out of town uh, to teach them diligently in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. So in our next episode, we are actually going to feature a multiple choice presentation. It's a surprise box. Open it up. What's inside? It could be one, any interviews that I do with readers or authors that I'm able to fetch for an interview on site at the conference and or two, perhaps a recording from my presentation called Why Do Your Kids Need Fantastical Stories for God's Glory? And even then, Zach, it could be the one that I did in the Round Rock Conference, or it could be the one that I do in the Pigeon Forge Conference. Which one is better? We'll see. And you'll hear about the biblical and practical reasons that families truly need fantasy, science fiction, and other stories that, as we were talking about, offer many idols, yet also many graces. Meanwhile, whether or not you're in the Golden Age, maybe you're in the Silver Age, maybe you're in the Bronze Age, the Pre-Industrial Age, the Mud Age, the Gravel Age, or maybe you're just looking forward to a better age, make sure that you put that hope into Christ's return, the new heavens and new earth. We're not looking for this amazing era of Christian creativity now as much as we are looking forward to Christ's redemption of all things when he comes to earth and we get to go on real life adventures as well as create fictional adventures to glorify him. In light of that hope, let's keep seeking and finding his fantastical truth.